What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, David Seberg, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast is the T-Mobile and Sprint deal in jeopardy. The market doesn't know what to believe. Top-ranked analyst Craig Moffitt will be here to weigh in. Plus, there's one high-flying sector that has a chart master pushing the sell button. He'll explain why he's so worried. And later, it's been a drug bust for healthcare stocks during an otherwise euphoric earnings season. So what's behind the sell-off, and why is one of our traders buying this breakdown? But first, we start off with Apple's awesome rally. And everything is awesome for the tech giant after suffering in September following its product launch. The stock has gained a whopping $80 billion in market cap, soaring about 11%. So does this surge prove you can never really bet against Apple with movers like this? Will Apple become the first trillion dollar company? Tim Seymour. Well, I, I think you should never question Apple's ability to slowly change what your, your drivers are for the company. And so, you know, we had this release. We, we rallied extensively into it. We then had some concerns about whether they're actually getting uh, the, the, the end demand. Meanwhile, I think a lot of people have spent the last six months trying to figure out a higher multiple for Apple based upon the services business. I know I'm one of them. So for a company that's added almost $100 billion in market cap in the last 25 sessions, um, which you can all do your searches and realize how much of a... You you know, how much bigger that is than almost every other company in the S&P, it's been an extraordinary run. I think um, I'm a little concerned about the anecdotal that tells us how strong suddenly the 10 demand is. And, and therefore, well, I think at some point focused, something you could We pay. focused so much on the, the 8 that everyone forgot about the 10. It became such a consensus sell Apple off of that event that they had in September. Then off of the, the lack of demand or quote-unquote lack of demand. It was a buying opportunity eight. for and sure. Exactly. Now, right? I've been long it. I'm still long it. When no one's there to buy it, they're there to buy back their stock. Right. Monster buyback. And let's be clear about the services business. It's a very small percent of their business right now, like 13.5%. Their goal is to get it to 20% of the business. The high margin business to Apple is the phone. Period. End of story. When you start to see margin slip on the phone, you sell the stock. Right now, they've got it, they're basically coming into a new product, an upgrade cycle with a massive install base. 335,000 phones need to be upgraded that are two years plus old. That's the biggest amount they've ever been faced with in an upgrade cycle or a new product cycle like this. So it's going to work. You probably you mean million? stock. I'm sorry, million. My apologies. You can own the stock until 185. With better bucks. margins on the other phone. So 185. Right. But, but, but the problem is, is then what happens after that? And so, uh, you know, everybody, just like Tim, has been saying, okay, services are coming out. This is going to be the next great thing. They are growing services, but it's nothing compared to what this is. So, right. you know, my concern is that after this party, I think you can still own Apple. I'm not saying shorted, but I'm saying after this party, there's going to be some, there's going to be a bit of a hangover here we're for this like, stock. Because what's left? What's the next I, thing I, for I, Apple? I, I think that brings up a great point because right. I am in the ecosystem. But I will tell you that more and more as things go to the cloud, that ecosystem is, is starting to lose its grip on me. I'm long the stock. I want to wait through the follow through, as you just said, on the X. But there's less and less that makes me buy Apple products. I don't need the laptop anymore. 
I buy anything. I don't need to store it. I don't need to pay so much for the services right. side of it. I have Google that'll do that for me free with photos and videos and alike. So, and I have music through Google now on my monthly music. Right. See. So there's less and less. Right. Yeah, but, but I think but hold this, on a second. I mean, all the same things that are giving other tech companies a, an extraordinary, an expanded multiple. So Apple Home, so the autonomous. I mean, th you don't think Apple's not part of tomorrow's car argument and discussion? Mm -hmm. I mean, the valuation here isn't just about the hardware. You they guys are they pointing out the are. cash flow well, machine no, I agree that it is. Him, but I think and, what's and, the one? What's why the isn't Apple going to be one of the top players in they all will. of these places along they with They are, the other but the problem players. with Apple is they're second movers. They're never first movers. They doesn't take matter. a product. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. No, it doesn't. Sure it does. They've always been, and here they are. It, they're dominant in phones. Yeah, and they're right? they they were, dominant in music. They were horrible for a while. Until they, until they came but out with that, they were still, horrible for a while. Point, though, she's right, though. It doesn't really matter whether they replicate the Samsung. They still, people wait for it. People wait for it, and they'll do it after I, Samsung. But, uh, yes, but it's going to take a long time between the phone and when Correct. Apple Home all of a sudden becomes the next driver of the business. The car That's going to be a is while. Not, is not going to be a driver for a very long time. I mean, the home is not going to be a driver. So you're looking at a massive runway. When's it going to be for Tesla? When's it going to be for Amazon? The iPhone? But, I mean, this is a company that is executing on their core business better than anybody out there. As Steve said, in a very high-margin product, by the way, this is not just a hardware no, company. But, but Tim, the point is, this is an upgrade cycle this is a cycle that is going to like BK was saying it's going to end right so there's going to be this upgrade it's going to go through maybe of three quarters maybe of two or three quarters to really gain that momentum but in two or three quarters do you think that the home or the car or any of the other businesses haven't we have, had this conversation over and over and over and over again of course we yeah. have and yeah. all it comes back to is the 10. Sell the stock. It comes back to the iPhone 10. That's all it ever comes back to. Whatever Apple has sold off and you buy it because the iPhone 10. That's right. all you had to say. Now what's next? My, my, my point is also, just to be clear, a year ago or so, um, we were questioning whether Apple would ever innovate again. It was, you know, people weren't calling it Palm Pilot, but they definitely were saying, this is a piece of hardware. The Chinese are doing it cheaper. Um, they're, they're losing market share there. And suddenly, everyone has been rekindled to the fact that this company, but, but first Tim, of all, is keeping the, they're growing the around the world, and they're growing other services. You could say the same thing that you just said. I still, I own it. So I, I'm, I'm sort of playing devil's advocate alone here. But when you, everything you just said, you can push back. I don't know if they've innovated. Have they really innovated anything? No, well, right? Remember how Beats was supposed to revelize the music industry? I mean, I haven't heard but a thing about Beats a in a long time. Chart on Apple, people keep coming back for it, and I do think it's a, it's a Apple's, wait and see. It, and Apple's innovating every single day. I mean, and again, if, if Apple's involved, if Apple's an operating system for you know 20, 30 percent of the automobiles out there in, in five to ten years, which it could be, that's, that's innovating. Lot. After and, this, and, and, they, and you don't know what they're doing. But I after mean, this upgrade to say that cycle, they're sitting Tim. pat on this, on that facial recognition. Ooh, wow, big deal. I don't care if there's facial recognition right. in this phone. That's not why I like it. Our next guest says the iPhone 10 could make or break Apple. Fast Money friend at Loop Ventures founder Gene Munster joins us now from Minneapolis. Gene, great to have you with us. First of all, there is the issue here on the desk is whether or not the 10 will live up to expectations. Already today, we had a couple of analysts become more bullish about the 10, saying, for one, that unit ship will be greater and that, therefore, uh, they'll be recognized in the December quarter, so the numbers will be uh, more feasible. Second issue here on this desk is what happens after the 10? What sustains this massive of run in market cap that we've seen in the past month or so. So just to put it in perspective, mm -hmm. buy side right now thinks about 15% of the units sold over the next year are going to be the iPhone 10. If the iPhone 10 sells as many units as the iPhone 8, which is probably going to be about 25% of units, 
That's going to power 5% upside to the current increased estimates on the street for next year. And so I just want to point this out, that as we've been, as I've been listening to the debate here, I think what's lost is these are just slow uh, turns that Apple's going to have over the next few quarters around ASPs and adoption. And just really key in on Thursday night, it doesn't matter. None of the numbers, none of the guidance matters. All that matters is their commentary about the first week of orders of the iPhone 10. If they say that's trending to the iPhone 8, the stock is going to be up based on that. But to get to your second question, Melissa, about what really carries this, and I think that it's a good uh, topic to have, because in six months, we're going to talk about what's after the iPhone 10, or I guess we're talking about it today. And ultimately, I think that the stock probably does pull back, call it six months from now, as we get to the end of this. It has to. It's just had too big of a run. But they are have basically put out this base. Right now, it's just over a billion. It will probably be about 1.1 billion uh, active monthly iOS users. And I think that's the piece that keeps this stock inching towards a trillion. All right. So um, you mentioned the guidance about the mix shift or the mix between eight and 10 orders on the uh, comment commentary on the conference call this week. Will we actually know? Because, I mean, the, the numbers in terms of availability of the 10, that's sort of manufactured, isn't it? We don't actually know what the true demand is, except that well, it, the, it has absorbed the inventory that's in the channel. So the lead times, which we're looking at, they're about five to six weeks now. They haven't changed since Friday morning. Those lead times are easily debatable because we don't know. There's over the last, uh, call it, uh, uh, three major upticks in the lead times, it's been accurate twice. It, says it has properly indicated when demand has been strong. But in fairness, it really, it's, it's debatable. But what's not debatable is what they say on the call. And if they dodge the question, the stock's probably going to be down. And if they say something to the effect of the iPhone 10 demand is similar to the iPhone 8, I think the stock is going to be up. Hey, Gene, so this is Tim. You're, you're framing this as the demand issue in the short term is really all you should care about. Um, I'm reading reports that shipments in 2017 will likely be about 20 million. Is that more or less in line with where you are? And isn't that down 50 percent from where people had originally priced this in? So that we're expecting in terms of iPhone 10s to probably be closer to 60 million. I think you said uh, uh, 50 million is probably somewhere around 60, 65 uh, of, million, somewhere uh, in that range. Of the of the X in 2017, I guess is oh, what. So, yeah. so the, so the short-term yep. demand issue is what I'm addressing. Okay, the the, the short-term demand issue. I think that they are do not have a short-term demand issue. I think they have a short-term production issue. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to cause. I may, hopefully, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to answer the question, but yeah, I think that, that we're going to see some that, shift that in numbers. Right. Some of this is related to Foxconn. You've read all the stuff I have, and then some. So, go ahead, please. Yeah, I think we will see some. I think it's 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 safe to say is we're going to see some numbers get moved around from the December quarter to the March quarter. But I don't think that that changes the trajectory of the of, of the stock. And Gene, last question here. Um, Apple looks like it's on a trajectory to be a trillion-dollar company. Does that matter? Does that a concern for you at all in terms of its ability to innovate? Um, no, because I think that whether you're a trillion-dollar company or today an $867 billion company, it doesn't matter. You're just a behemoth, and I think that those— uh, and, and I think that it's just uh, be a nice trophy if someone's going to get it, probably one of the FANG stocks. And uh, I think probably Apple seems to be in a good position right now to, to get that. It's only 17% away. Yep. Gene, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Gene Munster. Thank you. Loop Ventures. Um, okay, so you're long already. I'm long and I'm staying long Love into it. earnings, yeah. so it's the equivalent of be, being a buyer ahead of earnings. You would be long? Yeah, I'd be, and I'd be long into earnings. I think it's going to be fine.
I, th I think you can stay long. I think you could probably even buy it into earnings. I think the best thing for Apple is if they have some production delays because it just prolongs how long people are going to hold on to it to see when the uh, what the iPhone 10 numbers are. Okay, but it's a trading show, and again, there's this trade versus investment on Apple. No stock is ever phrased in those two terms. The stock that's moved like this with this kind of expectations mm -hmm. now, I, I, I don't think you have to buy it into these numbers. I don't think there's very little that I think they can tell us in terms of expected demand that's going to blow this thing out of the water. It just has to be a little bit better than expected. Everyone got so negative on the eight. But that's and where we are now, Steve. Now right? No, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. I think people are just rolling the dice at this point. I, I you think, get I think something for, that's to factual. To his point, though, I mean, it, is this going to be a sell the news event? I mean, after we had we've had two of them already. So, right, right. Huge, right. I, huge I think they've actually gotten clear. Earnings that, last that, that's week my point. I think we've gotten cleared with the sell the sell the uh, fact. Uh, events already. I think when this comes out, this is truly people who missed it or wanted to downplay it or get on the Wall no, Street bandwagon and sell it off of the eight numbers. Now we're looking at the X, and I think they're going to be pleasantly surprised. I understand what Last you're saying word. with that, but I, I, I think the sell the news event was on the release and what was in that phone and how innovative it was, as opposed to what sales and demand are. That's what we're going to find out. Coming up, a wild ride for Sprint and T-Mobile today as conflicting reports about their merger hit the street. Top analyst Craig Moffat is here to break down fact from fiction. Plus, Merkshire is having their worst two-day stretch since 2009, just the latest victim in what we are calling the earnings drug bust. So why is one of our traders buying this beaten-down shares? He'll explain, and later something is happening in the market that could be signaling trouble for tax reform. We'll tell you what that is and what it means for stocks. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Fears that the Sprint T-Mobile mega deal could fall through, sending those stocks sinking today. T-Mobile fell as much as 5%, while Sprint plunged 14% at the lows of the session on reports that SoftBank, the majority owner of Sprint, was calling off the merger. Our own David Faber later came on CNBC, shot down those initial reports, calling them exaggerated. But he did confirm the deal was running into governance and price issues. Check out shares of Dish, which surged on speculation that it could soon become the next SoftBank target. A lot to unpack here. So for more, let's bring in Craig Moffat, the senior analyst at Moffitt Nathanson. Craig, good to see you. Good to be back. Um, where do you think the deal stands if there is a deal? Well, look, I, I think it was probably overstated that they were just on the one-yard line anyway, but, um, and it's probably also overstated to say the deal is over now. But, but here's what probably happened, right, which is T-Mobile had been telling everybody for the last six months that Sprint was significantly overvalued and that to do a deal, they would have to do it way below market. Then the reports came out a couple of weeks ago saying they were going to do an at-market deal. And you have to believe that T-Mobile shareholders and Deutsche Telekom shareholders put a lot of pressure on T-Mobile to come back for a better price. I'm guessing, and again, uh, this is just speculation, but I'm guessing they went back to SoftBank and said, we have to do a much more attractive deal. SoftBank said, we can't do a deal way below market. And so we're right back where we started, which is a stalemate on price. And Fundamentally, this has to be about what's the exchange ratio for these companies. And T-Mobile believes Sprint is significantly overvalued. If we had a headline that came out uh, from the company saying the deal is off, there are no talks anymore whatsoever, what else would come out of Sprint stock? And we already saw the 14% decline initially. Is that the premium in, in the stock? Well, no. Look, okay. I think if, first of all, you have to go way back to find an yeah. unaffected price. Arguably, you have to go back to before 2014 to find an unaffected price because everybody's known this deal was coming. But here's the problem. If they came out and said tomorrow, there's no way we're going to do a deal, within five minutes when Sprint stocks started to fall, you would say, okay, they're getting closer to doing a deal, right? So... 
I don't think there is realistically any scenario where the two companies would say the probability of a deal has gotten to zero, other than the Department of Justice saying it's over. Um, what do you think the odds of a deal happening are? Well, we've always said the odds of them trying are about 80-20, and the odds of it being approved are about 50-50. Now, remember, that means that there's about a 40% chance that a deal happens and a 60% chance that it doesn't. And the stocks price in something like an 80 or 90% chance, at least Sprint does, an 80 or 90% chance of the deal being successfully completed. That's still way too high. And our guess is if the deal doesn't happen, Sprint's fall to price would be something like 2 to $3, not... Ouch. Uh, and, you know, it's trading still above 6 you know? what, what about DISH today, right? So let's say DISH is the next target here. Do they have the same regulatory hurdles no. that other people would have? Okay. No, they don't have regulatory hurdles. The problem for DISH is different, right? The problem for DISH is the satellite business is, at this point, is a sort of toxic business. Um, you've seen that with AT&T, right? That's hard business to want to own. And so the question is, what's the right valuation for DISH? DISH went up because, I think appropriately, people said, well, at least there's more optionality here because Verizon looks like it's out of the picture for DISH. And a standalone scenario for DISH is unattractive. And so you have to find somebody to dance with. And if Sprint and T-Mobile are tied up, there's arguably nobody to dance with. Sprint and T-Mobile means there's two possible partners, not just SoftBank, but maybe also a deal with T-Mobile, that while neither one is highly likely, they're both possible. When you look at the way uh, Telephone and Verizon traded right after the news, they sold off um, immediately, right? The marketplace is sort of telling you, if you will, that four players are much more price competitive than, than three. That's a great point. So the question is, what do, how does the DOJ look at this You're, it's if a, they decide to come back on full steam? It's, it's a great point. The DOJ is going to look at exactly that market action and say... The wisdom of the market says this deal is anti-competitive, um, and therefore it's good for your competitors to let this deal happen. That is two strikes against the deal before you even announce it, and that's a real issue. All right, Craig, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much for stopping by. Always good to get My your pleasure. analysis. Craig Moffat of Moffat Nathanson. You've been in T-Mobile for a while. I, I, I'm not in any longer. I am oh. friends with John Ledger, so that being said, I know nothing other than what we've discussed on this mm -hmm. desk. Um, I, I do believe that if you see price action in T-Mobile, it's been the leader. Sprint has definitely uh, lagged, and also Telephone, Verizon have lagged as well. I don't know if you, if you dabble in a dish or if you dabble in a charter, if you dabble in one of the other players. You sort of have to let cooler heads prevail, and T-Mobile has Why'd been in the innovator. Why'd you sell TMUS? I've been in and out of it. I okay. traded it a, a lot, uh, and I haven't been in it. But as it had nothing to do with the deal or expectations. No, okay. way, way before yeah. I've been out of it. All right. T-Mobile's great. I mean, from an operational perspective, I think it's the best. Obviously, the best of the bunch. I mean, they're winning the sub game, et cetera. So I think you can stick with that. I would let it shake out a little bit, though. I think you can let time sort of on your side here. I, I think the issue for T-Mobile really is what is the next catalyst for, for them. We talked about Sprint. Mm -hmm. Craig outlined that there's, it's really a challenging one. Um, Sprint, uh, sorry, T-Mobile, as you said, first of all, free cash flow generation there has actually been quite strong. Some of that was because of lower handset sales, which are subsidized and, and hurt them. Um, but their top line on services is growing 8 to 9% in a very competitive environment where the focus is now going to be on margin. Right, still ahead, the chart master says one high-flying sector has gone too far too fast. He'll be here to show you the charts that might have you pressing the sell button, too. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC First and Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Talk about a drug bust. 
say hello to my little friend. No, not that type of drug bust. Talking about big pharma and biotech earnings. But something just happened that had one of the traders buying the breakdown. And we'll tell you what that is. Plus, just when you thought you heard all the bull cases for Bitcoin, BK says he may have found another. And he'll tell you what it is when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tax talk in D.C. sending a chill down Wall Street. Elon Moyes in D.C. with more on this developing story. Hi, Elon. Melissa, Republicans reportedly looking at phasing in the reduction of the corporate tax rate. Bloomberg News saying that under this plan, the rate wouldn't get down to 20 percent until 2022. Of course, this is all still up for negotiation. And lawmakers spent today hashing out the final details of this plan. They'll be at it again tomorrow as they prepare for their big reveal on Wednesday. But it doesn't look like President Trump has signed off on this idea either. Here's White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders knocking down this proposal this afternoon. The president laid out his principles and it doesn't include the phasing in, so we're still committed to that moving forward. But, uh, and I don't have any reason to believe we have changes on that front. Now this is all about making the math work. Cutting the corporate rate to 20% costs an estimated $1.6 trillion, according to the Tax Foundation. And that is already bigger than the tax cut that Republicans are allowed to take under those complicated rules they want to use to pass tax reform. So they're going to have to raise money somehow, somewhere, and they're hoping that phasing in that corporate rate cut could help them lower the price tag without sacrificing too much of the benefits to growth. And business is not necessarily opposed to this idea. The Rate Coalition, it represents about three dozen of the nation's biggest companies. They said their goal is to get to the lowest rate possible as soon as possible. Melissa, as long as that 20% rate is permanent, our gradual phase-in could be a deal that they're willing to make. Back over to you. All right, Elon. Thank you, Elon Moy in D.C. So stocks took a tumble on this news, and there was considerable reaction in the bond market. So is the bond market pricing in lack of tax reform, Tim? Well, you know, if you think about it, intraday on Friday, we were 247 on the 10-year. That's above this very important 242 breakout level, and now we're back down at 237. Um, I think people got a little ahead of themselves once again. I mean, you know, it, giving these guys the benefit of the doubt on getting something through, I think, is an extraordinary, you know, extension of, of faith. So, look, um, if you look at the IWM, if you look how industrials trade, and if you look at, I, you know, the retail sector was massacred today. Is that part of this consumption expectation follow-through? I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, to me, the bond market is more than just that, just the tax. I mean, it is, it does have to do with taxes, but then look at what's going on in oil. Look at th those type of things. To me, if you get higher oil prices and rates stabilize here and you don't get tax reform, then that's going to be a problem for the market because I do think the market has this expectation that something's going to get done and it's trading up at these levels because of that. Is a phase-in so terrible if 20% is the, is the guaranteed final end rate on corporate? It's, it's not so terrible, but I think that you're giving them, to Tim's point, I've been pretty consistent on this, I don't think they get anything substantive done. They've talked about the 401K dropping from 18 to 2,400, now back up to 20, 20 or 22,000. Bat tax, remember that one? Thrown out. Saw state and local tax. They have no clue what they're doing there. So for me, I don't think anything gets done. I think the market takes a little bit of it on the chin and then rallies because we're rallying on earnings and a whole bunch of other stuff. Mm -hmm. But rates, that's all about the new Fed share. And I think what people have to realize, 
is that new, new Fed chair is going to be a lot more dovish than they think they are today. Well, I, I think yeah. the point here is, though, that a fisc some kind of a tax deal, um, and then maybe you're going to start hearing momentum on fiscal, whatever, but a tax deal puts a lot of pressure on the Fed. The yep, Fed has always been very clear. We are not going to do anything on speculation of what they might do. Good for them, by the way. Um, and that we're actually going to wait. So um, I, I do think if you get a tax deal, um, rates are going to go higher, uh, and that's going to put a lot of pressure on stocks. I think stocks might like no deal for a while. Look, I mean, I think earnings have gotten us here. The question is how much was priced in. We've debated it on the desk. It shows you there, there is a little bit starting to get priced in here because you can't be an investor and not begin to price in tax relief of some sort. So the market's selling off a little bit knee-jerk reaction on this headline. It goes to show you that we're starting to price in a little tax here. You know, have to keep our eye on the ball. Right. Well, one group of stocks that has been a big part of the reflation trade, materials. The sector has been on fire, but the chart master Carter Worth of Cornerstone Macro says it is time to take profits. Why? Let's find out. Carter. Thanks, Melissa. Well, so we know for the entire bull market, of course, materials have lagged. So they've been a, a disappointing investment. And now, year to date, they're quite uh, steep and extended. And it's my thinking that it's something that one should back away from, take profits, what have you. Here's a two-year chart. And what we know, of course, when things are trending is that they typically will vacillate above and below trend, which is perfectly normal. But the, the issue is this recent uh, strength of late, up about 18.5%, uh, 19% on the year versus the S&P up only 15. So I want to focus in on that. Here's the long term. This goes back some 15 years. And one of the principles is that you can get pretty far below or above trend, but at some point you get mean reversion. And we know that we're getting into that kind of thing here where the odds are diminishing that you can go higher. In fact, it's likely that you fact give back. So now this really this really tells the tale. This is just a sad stuff. OK, this is the entire. There's your. Plunge of 09. So this sector, yes, is up as are most things. And yet the entire time it's a negative proposition. There is no alpha here, meaning money committed here. The opportunity cost was a drag, right? You could have done something better. Uh, and so now that's your long-term setup. In fact, it's been underperforming for the better part of 25 years. And this recent piece now is just too steep. So back to that. Here's another way to look at it. I mean, you just see the spreads. So you're talking about something, market, sector. It's lagged the entire bull, and yet the day-to-day -day is just too steep. So if you measure trend with a trend line, or if you measure it with a moving average, that's all the moving average is, an automated trend line, the presumption is we're due for this kind of thing. We've seen them all along the way, and the, I'm making the bet that you've got your next one. So a 5 to 7% sell-off, this is the ETF XLB, I'm a seller. Five to seven percent pullback. I think Carter comes over. I think sure, yeah. yeah. Carter, Let's do it. come on over. Didn't me? Yeah. I don't know if it's ever really a question. Thanks, Ariel. Green chairing. The question is, does he want to come over? Well, I mean, that's, that's really that would be the next phase of this thing when guests start saying no to us. Yeah. Then we'll have to figure something else out. Um, you said for. For most of 25 years, the sector has underperformed the S&P 500. Which makes sense. It's a commodity. It's it, there's no growth, right? It's just it's digging around in the ground for things. It's not uh, growth is finding the apples of their day. Whether it was Eastman Kodak or Polaroid or Xerox from time immemorial, or General Motors when it started. This is this is this is sort of subsoil. It's nothing. Yeah. So in fact, really in a fact, trading sector, oh, nothing in your is view. it? It's three percent of the S&P. 
The entire right. sector is only 3%, and one stock, Dow DuPont, is, is 25%. Yeah, that, that, so that, that's my criticism right. of the XLB as a tell here, because I totally hear you, uh, and I believe in mean reversion trades, especially these long ones. They're powerful. And I think you unwound a major commodity bubble um, by the floor of 2016, by Janet 2016. We are building that back up, and I, I think there are ways to invest in those miners um, and in those kind of recovery stocks, and, and they, sure. they, are, they are great opportunities now. Well, I think we've just begun to fight. Yeah, they're individual equities, right? The XME is one way to do it if you believe yeah. in metals and money. They're individual yeah. equities within materials that are good. You can pick one chemical over another. But as a bet, right, they're, they have the problem that they've done nothing for you long term, done nothing for the entire bull market, and now they're actually too steep. I mean, if mean reversion is something uh -huh. one believes in. So um, when you take a look at a Charlie Caterpillar, which theoretically benefits from this sector. Does that make sense to you, or do you also think that that's well, a stock that will be challenged? I mean, Cater look, Caterpillar was one of the most shorted stocks at the right. low. It's now one of the most owned stocks at near the high. I think it's way too steep, but it, it beats yet again. Um, at some point, Caterpillar will have a mighty fall from grace. It's just like everything else, and it's defied almost uh, all logic at this point. But also <clears> this, <throat> just then, I mean, zinc rolling over, copper rolling over, right, aluminum, rebar. Shanghai under some pressure. Yeah. I think that all plays to the XLB not so, being a good place. So question for you. Whenever I look at technicals, I always try to look at the reverse of it and say, what have I done wrong in this analysis and what can actually make it bullish if I'm bearish and vice versa? When you look at this chart, what makes you think that I'm wrong and if China does have this exponential growth with cutting triple R and now sure. we're going to the first quarter of next year and that could be a catalyst, yep. Do you see something that's at all positive in this? Sure. There's, there's one thing that can happen, that something that's extended gets more extended. Caterpillar, Bitcoin, pick your thing, meaning that, that's where it could be wrong, meaning something just because it's gone maybe too far, it can go even further than the imagination will allow. But that's where it gets in the odds and probabilities about when mean reversion is likely to take place. All right, Carter, thank you. Thanks, guys. Carter Worth. I saw you, when you said Bitcoin, <laughs> you're like... Well, uh oh, uh oh, not Bitcoin. It could have gone too far too we'll, fast. We'll have no. more on Bitcoin straight ahead, by the way. All right, still ahead. Healthcare stocks sitting out the earnings rally, but traders are betting the tide could be about to turn when one name in the space reports this week. We'll give you all the details. Plus, as I mentioned, Bitcoin, we're going to talk about it. Searched new record highs this weekend, now up more than 530% this year. Our own BK here says there's something investors are missing about this rally. He'll explain what that is when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are more than halfway through what's been a pretty euphoric earnings season for stocks. Of the 278 names that have already reported, nearly 75% have beat earnings estimates, while 66% have beat on revenue. But there is one group that's been sitting on the sidelines of this big earnings rally, drug stocks. For more, let's go to our resident expert, Meg Terrell, for a little stock therapy. Hi, Meg. Hi. So whatever the opposite of euphoria is, is what's happening in the drug sector right now. This has just been a terrible earnings season. And as you're talking about those metrics in terms of earnings beats and revenue beats, actually, healthcare hasn't been that out of place. We have seen some earnings beats, but the news otherwise has been so bad, and the way it's been digested by investors has been terrible. So Merck today, they reported earnings on Friday, put out two big pieces of news. The stock fell 6% on Friday, continued to fall today. That was really 
really with an update on its big cancer drug, Keytruda. They said some key clinical trial data is going to be delayed until 2019. Also said after the bell on Friday that they are withdrawing their European application in lung cancer for that drug. So investors starting to worry about their reliance on Keytruda for growth and others coming into the space. But that's not the only bad story we've seen during this earnings season. Gilead and Celgene also disappointing investors. Those stocks falling significantly on their reports. Uh, really concerns for Celgene bringing back its 2020 growth prospects. For Gilead, of course, it's that declining uh, growth in hepatitis C. And you can see that the stock's coming down since then. Celgene has just been massive. So we're not quite through earnings season for biotech and biopharma yet. Tomorrow we've got Pfizer. We've got Allergan and Teva later in the week. Sanofi as well, which will also have implications for its partner Regeneron. Some people warning how are those franchises going to look as well as one of the bigger biotechs. It's been sort of a continuation of a bad trend. Uh, so people will be watching that very closely. But M&A is going to be something we're going to be listening for closely, particularly with Pfizer tomorrow. A lot of people starting to speculate about Pfizer getting interested maybe in a Bristol-Myers-type deal. So we'll be listening for that closely. As a reminder, though, biotech has had a pretty good year. It's been bad this earnings season, but up almost 20% year-to-date. That's true. You're looking at these pullbacks closely, yeah. I'm sure. I mean, it scares me a little bit. This is a, a perfect telltale sign that, you know, large cap biopharma is in need of M&A. There needs to be some massive M&A that occurs to get the growth, you know, trajectory back, back on, on path. So we thought we saw that when we saw, you know, a Kite get taken out. It didn't happen. Um, we need to see more M&A. Gilead needs to step up to the plate again. We need to see other companies that have these decaying pipelines start to buy, buy assets. But that's not something you invest in, right? I mean, well, as an investor, you don't invest in biotech thinking, oh, they're going to step in with, with the M&A. Gilead deal. You, right, I mean, and look at be, what the stock's and been you know, doing. But here's the problem. That's, that's up. been a macro theme, in a sense, right, for a while, yes. and it hasn't happened. So at some point, people start saying, listen, no. I bought XBI, which is the, um, the, the ETF for biotech. I bought it to play this theme. I'm up on it since the election. Right. And so why wouldn't I take some off the table? Because it appears that maybe these deals aren't coming. Well, if we'd held on to the chart master, I think he would have drawn a trend line that actually says you're right here at the bottom of the trend and it, it needs to hold essentially right around right. here, kind of 310 to 315 on the IBB. Um, I think the reaction in Merck, especially when I read the, 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 the street, when the, the analysts on the street, again, they talk about the stuff that they can value and they talk about EPS and they talk about free cash flow and they talk about their core business and, and, and they affirmed numbers on this company. So 15% um, move in three or four days for a stock included that announcement. Um, I think Merck's overdone. Yeah. Well, I mean, see, the issue, though, is by pulling the application, right, for, for the drug in Europe for lung cancer, that's one of their biggest indications, right? And so not only do they lose those profits from that drug for a year, whatever it is, but they also fall behind in terms of the competition. So there are other competitors who will go in and possibly gain that share. Yeah, the street's Burke been kind may not of, get. Uh, exactly. Yeah. The street's been kind of divided on what this means exactly. There mm -hmm. were three downgrades today of Merck's yeah. stock. At the same time, Evercore ISI, Zuma Rafat was on today kind of defending and agreeing with you that the fall has been overdone. But the concern is that this is a huge market in lung cancer. Uh, Umer puts it at about $15 billion a year, potentially, in the U.S. and EU alone. And as Merck is delaying these data and this application in Europe, this gives the opportunity to Roche and Bristol-Myers to catch up with some data of their own. Wow. Meg, thank you. Thank you. All right, sticking with drug stocks, Pfizer is set to report earnings before the bell tomorrow, as Megan mentioned, and the options market is implying some pretty big moves. Let's get to Mike Coe in Austin to break it all down. Hi, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so the options market is expecting a move of about 3.2% for Pfizer by the end of the week. That's in line with historical averages, would represent about a $6.5 billion change in market capitalization. We saw a lot of call buying today. It was a, trading more than two times the average call volume by about midday. And the most active were the November 35.5 calls, ultimately 70,000 calls trading 
We saw a block of 9,500 of those calls trading for about 44 cents. So these are bets that Pfizer will actually be making a move to the upside by about that 2.5% or more uh, by November expiration, which is two weeks from this coming Friday. All right, Mike, thanks for that. Mike Coe in Austin. For more options action, you can check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Still ahead, retail stocks getting crushed today. The group now on pace for its worst month in nearly four years. Are any of the traders buying these beaten-down names? We'll find out. Plus, stop me if you've heard this before, but Ooh. BK loves Bitcoin. He's got a new reason why you should, too. Find out what that is when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for a major buzzkill. Check out shares of AMD tanking 8% today after Morgan Stanley downgraded the stock to an underweight, lowered its price target to 8 bucks. The firm studying the stock's boost this year for cryptocurrency mining will likely slow down significantly next year. Um, so, I mean, we sort of knew this from the conference call, but then you extrapolate and you think maybe this is bad for cryptocurrencies in general. Yeah, I don't think it is. I mean, I, I think there's a disconnect. First of all, I don't think you should have bought AMD to bet on Bitcoin anyway. What's going on behind the scenes here is because China had banned Bitcoin, a lot of the Chinese miners are selling off their mining equipment at discounts on eBay and, and different places like that. So um, you don't have that kind of tailwind that you had. But I don't think this is going to be, this is a, uh, something to say, hey, cryptocurrencies are going away. But it is bad money. for AMD. I mean, it's it was 9% of yes. revenues for that, AMD. Yeah, that was, exactly. That was, it's been an underperformer. This was the hope that people thought AMD was going to play catch up. But if you look at NVIDIA, this was uh, an incremental tail push to that stock. That was was up on the day. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the other semiconductor space, you, you'd have to uh, search long and hard to find ones that really took it on the chin the way AMD uh, on the other names that we talk about on this desk, if it's cryptocurrency, you probably got ahead of your skis and you probably get out of it. But like B BK said, you probably shouldn't have been in it in the first place for that reason. I completely agree. It's, I mean, it's AMD versus NVIDIA. I'm a NVIDIA buyer. AMD, I think the stock's going lower. I, I don't think they were terribly. When they're conservative in their guide, too, I think it was for a reason. And I, I, you know, there are people that are saying there was some drivers in that, that last quarter that were low quality um, earnings elements to why those numbers were even where they were. So it doesn't surprise me that they pulled off this is not an indictment to me of Bitcoin. Well, I don't understand how you can actually separate it, how, how it has no, it's not because an indication it's, at all for cryptocurrency. It's, it's like saying, you know, our gold price is tied to Caterpillar stock, right? Gold can go up and Caterpillar can have too much production out there. Caterpillar might not have the right type of equipment to mine gold. They, they're tied, but they're not so tied. So you still think Bitcoin goes up at the same trajectory or whatnot? Yeah, I mean, I'm still very bullish on Bitcoin. All right, so why don't you pitch us then? Yeah, why you mean, don't you, my You man? want me to pitch yes, you right yeah. now? Yeah, yeah, come on. Come on. I don't know if I'm prepared. All right, I'll give it a shot. You're always prepared. I'll give it a shot. So here's my fast right. pitch on Bitcoin. So everybody's worried about whether or not Bitcoin's in a bubble, where the market cap can go. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you the three things that matter to me and why I think this is just such a great investment. So here they are right here, and you're going to be surprised by a couple of them. First of all, Bitcoin is going to Amazon the banks. So what do I mean by that? Bitcoin is a way to remove the third party from financial services, just like Amazon does to retail, right? So Amazon comes in, they go direct to consumer. We talk about it. DTC is what we use. Well, this is BTC, the Bitcoining of the banks. So number one, you have a disruption going on. 
Number two, if I look at any investment, I always want to look at how big is the market. This is a massive, massive addressable market. By Jamie Dimon's own admission, he moves $7 trillion around the world every day. There's a lot more than, than that out there. Bitcoin's only a $100 billion market cap right now. The upside on this is 10x, if not more. And then finally, does anybody want this product? Well, let's take a look. Is there a demonstrated demand for the product? Next chart that I have here, let's see if I can hit forward. Number of unique Bitcoin address, addresses. This is akin to bank accounts, right? On the Bitcoin network, when you have an address, that's like your bank account. Well, look at this. It's still increasing at an exponential rate. So now I have a product that people want in a market that is massive, and there's a disruptive technology going on. To me, those are the three elements of any investment that I want. And Bitcoin, to me, at a $100 billion market cap, is so low relative to where it could be, it's one of the best investments out there. Hey, Brian, it's Tim. How are you? Hey, Tim. Um, Good to nice hear you. Nice to see you. So, yeah. so look, um, th there's criticism of Bitcoin from a technology perspective in terms of the, the crypto involved, that this is 1995 technology relative to some of the other tokens out there. Speak to that and speak to Bitcoin versus Ethereum, you, know, you sure. name it, and, and why people should choose one or the other. That's, thanks for calling in, Tim, first of all. Good to hear <laughs> from you. Uh, and that's actually a really great question, right? Because Bitcoin has this massive lead on network effect. But I remind myself every single day that MySpace existed well before Facebook. Yahoo existed well before Google even existed. Tech disrupts itself. Bitcoin is older technology. Right now, it's having a tough time upgrading. I don't know if Bitcoin is going to be the one that disrupts, but I do know that a token like Ethereum, which is more of a computer and I can do if-then statements, maybe that's going to be the one. I'm not sure which one is going to be, but I know that I want to have exposure to that area. All right, so why don't we vote? Are you buying or selling BK's pitch on Bitcoin? Steve Grasso, what do you think? So I, I, let me put a caveat. I would say I would sell it on Bitcoin, but I am my play in the, uh, in the space is buying overstock that I've been long, and I think it helps me feel more comfortable because nobody understands the space like BK. All right, Seabird. Uh, I am a buyer of Bitcoin. I, uh, you know, I've been uh, on this with BK for a long time. I think uh, BK understands this better than anybody here on the desk. I think if you're a believer in blockchain, Bitcoin is going to be to help facilitate this. You got to own it. Tim Seymour. Um, I'm not a buyer of Bitcoin, but I'm a buyer of crypto, so that's really a yes vote. Um, I actually think this is going to be good for banks, by the way. I, I think banks are going to become more efficient than ever through this. But uh, buy crypto, Bitcoin, eh, you know, there's so, other ways to do it. Other so ways to do it. one definitely buy in it terms is. of pure Bitcoin and two others buy it in another way, overstock and crypto in general. We want to know, though, what you out there think. So please vote in our Twitter poll right now at CNBC Fast Money. We will reveal the results later on in the show. Good job, Beeks. Thank you. Plus, retail stocks reeling today. The group's now on track for its worst month since January 2014. Is there a bottom in sight? Our traders will weigh in. More Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for our move of the day. Retail stocks getting crushed. The XRT down nearly 2% on track now for its worst month since January of 2014. Check out some of the big losers. Office Depot falling after a downgrade. JCPenney getting hit after slashing guidance. A downgrade as well. Macy's getting downgraded. Walmart also lower. So do you dare buy the stiff in these beaten down retailers or are they a no-touch, Grasso? Well, every time you try to dabble and try to pick a bottom, you always wind up getting smacked in the face with one of these. You, you always wind up being too early. So I, I'll say it for the umpteenth time. I think this is probably a good time 
to try that bottom again going into year round. I think so much of this gets smacked again. These, yeah. It's unbelievable. <laughs> There's that possibility. There's that possibility. But when you look at names like a Macy's, we've talked about the brand. Uh-huh. What's that worth? What's the real estate worth? You're so now it's trading below six billion dollars. <laughs> And the real estate has to be worth something north of $6 billion. You just can't quit. Steve's a tough guy. He does yeah. not like getting smacked. Um, yeah. but, but, but bottom line here is if you, bought, if you bought the XRT six months ago, you're flat. All right, just let's be clear about this. The XRT is going through a bottoming process, I believe. I think there's also a lot of haves and have-nots in there. I do own Macy's. Uh, I own it, you know, City about 7 or 8% risk. higher. But you know what? I'm not sure I own it for the dividend. I, I own it because I think the free cash flow is fine. There's some real estate action there. I think their business is starting to get some, some feet under it. But things like Walmart, I know I'm probably in the minority on this desk. I mean, that's a stock that's had a major, major run where they have, not, forget the secular Amazon issues. I mean, they've got major competition there. So there's, there's stories that I think right here and now, based upon where they are, and then be, there's the whole thing. Before, 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 right there with you at Walmart. I totally, I totally agree. I would be selling Walmart here with both hands. I, and I think you stick with brands. On the other hand, I wouldn't buy a Macy's here. I wouldn't buy a JCPenney's. I would be well, buying the brands. The elephant in the room, I am long JCPenney. And when you say you wouldn't, you Don't would not it. buy them no. here. Trading they're vehicle. Still they're Trading still generating, to, even on the low estimates, they're still generating 200 to $300 matter. million in cash flow. Trading you don't vehicle. go out of business when you're generating that type of cash flow. From my I, trade, I don't you know. don't invest in that name. Well, so listen, I, I have been one of those people who's tried to buy Macy's and some of these retailers on the dips and have gotten smacked just like Steve. So, but here's what I would say. I am starting to sour on the idea that the real estate is as valuable as people say. Remember what happened to Sears? That was a real estate play. Right. So I wouldn't buy it. So ahead, are you buying Bitcoin with BK? It's a close call right now, but there's still time to vote. Head to Twitter right now. We'll reveal the results right after this. Do the drum roll. It is time to find out whether you at home bought BK's pitch for Bitcoin. And for the first time ever, the words Tony Braxton and Bitcoin <laughs> are used in the same sentence. Oh. The majority of you said no oh. to BK's Bitcoin pitch. That's all right. 53% said no, I am not a buyer. Hmm. That's I look good, though. 47% said yeah, I'll yeah. take 40. All right. Listen, in Bitcoin world, that's fantastic. Time for the final trade, Tim Seymour. I mean, look, I love BK, but I, I love Tony even more. So, uh, <laughs> that's how it goes. Uh, buyer of the XRT, 38 is your bottom. I think you can bounce. BK. Uh, I, I mean, I love Tim, too, but I do okay. love Tony better. XOP, buy that one. Seaberg. Buyer of Intel. After earnings, this stock's got continuous earnings growth. I'd be long here. Grasso. Pulte Home has been long. It's working. Continues to work. Be long it. All right. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks so much for watching. See you back here tomorrow again at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself.
Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.